to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Hi, my name is Maddie and I'm going to be reading from Colossians chapter 3 verse 18. It's on page 1167 of the Pew Bibles. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it, not only when their eyes on you and to win their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favouritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have provided a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, See that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Great to be with you. My name's Roger. I'm one of the ministers here. Good to be with you if I haven't met you before, and even if I have met you before. We are coming to the end of a brilliant series. Uh, Colossians. If you haven't heard parts of the series, please go online and listen, because it's been extraordinary to see how it's unfolded 
and to see how God has been at work. You might like to actually just turn with me uh, to the beginning of Colossians, and we're just going to do a quick flick through in terms of where we have been. You might remember back in Colossians chapter 1, we read these absolutely astounding words about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things were created by him and for him. It's just an amazing picture of the supremacy of who Jesus is over all things. And Jesus, who is over all things, reaches out to us. See there in verse 21? Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's death, uh, Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. As Paul has unpacked the letter, we've heard just exactly what that has meant. Uh, In verse 6 of chapter 2, we read words like this. So then, just as you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in faith, as you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. The impact of the supremacy of Christ has a direct impact on you and me in the way we live our lives. Last week, we heard from Matt about putting off things and putting on things. You might remember the whole idea of putting on who we are in Christ. Uh, We saw that in chapter 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. goes on to say, put to death those things that are of your earthly nature. You used to walk in those ways. But now... Put on a new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Clothe yourself, listen to these beautiful words, with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Bear each other and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And above all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Well, it's been quite a journey. Those big, big concepts about who Jesus is, the idea of the virtues that we are to live out in our lives. But of course, this actually has a practical side to it. And we see it most evidently in relationships, in the way we live our lives with one another. In the way we live our lives in the relationships that God has placed us. And so tonight, we're going to look at a number of different relationships. We can't cover all the relationships uh, that are included in your life, but we're going to cover quite a number of them. And in some cases, they might not be the kind of relationships you're in. And so just observe what Paul has to say at that point as well. Now, just two asides before we actually get into the text this evening. The first to say is that the Colossian church is a fairly new church. Uh, people are still finding their way as to what it actually means to live out, uh, what it means to follow Jesus. 
They haven't been in existence for a terribly long time. And my guess is it's not made up of lots of families and lots of uh, people who've been around for years and years in churches. It's actually probably pretty new. And so people are hearing things for the first time. The second thing to note is that Paul, as he speaks to us this evening, is involved in a very radical project, a very political project. In fact, he's changing the whole nature of society. You might remember, as he writes this letter, he is in jail. And the reason he's in jail is because these ideas are so potent and subvert the society that he's in. People don't want these ideas to get a hold hold because they're so subversive. They change things so drastically. Now, you might look at some of the things we're going to talk about this evening and say, well, that's not that. No, that's a no-brainer. Why, why wouldn't it be like that? Well, if you're thinking that, that's because you've been influenced by these ideas and these ideas have shaped our Western culture and society. That's how influential they were. So come with me as we look at this particular passage. We're going to look at three different things. It's not everything as I've mentioned. We're going to look at uh, family or household relationships. We're going to think a little bit about work. And then we're also going to think um, a little bit about our church life together. Um, To do this, we're just going to continue to walk through each of the relationships. I'm going to start in an interesting place for our first set of relationships because as you heard in the beginning of our reading, that word submit comes up. And I reckon sometimes that's a bit of a hindrance to us hearing what else takes place in the passage. So I'm going to go somewhere else in the passage and come back to that word a little bit later on. One of the other things I need to say just before we start as well, through this, I want to think about the idea that the virtues that Paul has spoken about in chapter 3, are evident in each of these relationships. Each of these relationships are not less than those virtues. Um, And so we'll keep coming back to that on the way through. Okay, let's get going. In the family, Paul refers to fathers. He says, fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Now, I'm a father and I know it's possible to embitter your children. But in Paul's day and age, this was particularly evident in the ways fathers often treated their children. So, for example, um, we hear this kind of statement being made about fathers. Fathers have the right to upbraid their children and admonish them severely, and if they do not submit to threats conveyed in words to beat and degrade them and put them in bonds. Uh, Some of the relationships between fathers and their children were absolutely terrible. Now, I'm sure there were fathers who loved their children and cared for them, but actually as part of society, people treated their children terribly, particularly by today's standards. And so it's not surprising for Paul to be saying to the fathers, actually, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Now, perhaps uh, you're not a father, highly likely you're not, but perhaps you've been embittered by your father and you've seen actually how this works out in a life. And you can see how much damage it does to people around you. Well, this is an opportunity not to repeat the pattern and certainly not to encourage others to repeat the pattern because it doesn't reflect compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience It doesn't look at forgiveness and it doesn't mean putting on love. Now, of course, for those fathers who've done the wrong thing, there is always forgiveness 
And it's possible for fathers to sometimes ask for forgiveness. I learned this lesson very early on. When I was young, my father decided to smack me and he sent me off to my room. I was in tears sitting on my bed um, and my brother was nearby. Very young. And my father walked in and said, I apologize. I've done the wrong thing. Now that took tremendous humility to come in and have that conversation with me. But as you imagine, it shaped the rest of my life in terms of what I needed to do with my own kids to be able to go to them, look, I'm sorry, I've done the wrong thing. That's what humility looks like. That's what gentleness looks like. That's what patience looks like. So can we be those people encouraging fathers or being fathers to not embitter their children, not stir them up, not make them bitter against the world and other people? Paul not only speaks to fathers, he speaks to children, and we're not going to spend a lot of time here, but he says, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And what you notice here, um, and, and this is a pattern we're going to see a fair bit, is this pleases the Lord. You are subject to the Lord. The reason you do this is because of the God of all creation has come. And we are putting on new clothes, and we're living this out in our relationships. Um, You will have heard in the Old Testament reading from um, the Ten Commandments where children are called to obey their parents. This is a very serious thing. I I say to parents all the time, actually, you've got to make that easy. (laughs) You can make that really difficult. Uh, You can make it difficult for your children to obey you just in the way you treat them. Um, And so this is important to take on board. I think this is speaking particularly to children who are living with their parents Um, It's not so much speaking to people who've left home, but it's important to consider what does it mean to obey your parents as a pleasing thing to the Lord? It's not asking you to do things that are against the Lord, but what does that look like in terms of pleasing things to the Lord? Certainly, as adults, we would want to honour our parents. And so the question is, how do we honour our parents in those things? Now, I'm going to leave that alone for the moment, but that's certainly one of the relationships that Paul is addressing at this time. He then speaks to husbands. Now, the context that Paul is speaking into is one in which uh, patriarchy is rife, uh, women are often treated really badly, and indeed, as we saw in our Corinthian series, it's possible that women were often, uh, wives were often treated in such a way that they were there for procreation, um, and that was about it. Uh, Often men would go outside their families and seek sexual pleasure with others. And so wives were treated pretty badly in this day and age. And you can see this in this uh, quote here. Since women are married for the sake of bearing children and heirs and not for pleasure and enjoyment, it is totally absurd to inquire about the quality or rank of their family line or about the abundance of their wealth, but not to inquire about the ability to conceive children. I mean, that's just wrong at so many different levels, isn't it? It just makes us shocked. And so wives were treated like this. And Paul is saying, actually, I've got news for you. You might have not married loving your wife, but you're putting on new clothing here, and I'm going to subvert your reality, and you're going to love your wife. This is a whole new day. 
You're going to love your wife and you're not going to embitter them. You're not going to be harsh with them. You're not going to degrade them in the way that they're living. Now that's an extraordinary statement and you can see that played out over the centuries as husbands learnt to love their wives. Mind you, it's something to be learned. I've been a husband for over 30 years and I'm still trying to work it out. I'm still learning what it means to love my wife. And I I speak to other guys, we share the same journey. It's complicated. Uh, Very often we find ourselves in places where um, where our work lives take all our energy and time. And so we get home and all we've left to offer our wives is kind of a spent self. Rather than actually energy to love and to care and to sacrifice things for our wives. Now, same, same can be true of working women as well, but the truth is this is speaking to husbands. And it's saying, husbands, get your act together. You're going to have to work out what it means to love your wife. You're going to have to spend time loving your wife. If you're putting on your new clothes, you're going to show her kindness and compassion and humility and gentleness and patience. You're going to learn what it means to forgive and what it means to love. And this is a lifelong journey and you will have to put time into it. So I want to challenge you husbands out there. Learn what it means to love your wives and not be harsh with them, not put them down. The next thing we come to, of course, is one of those verses that causes us all kinds of difficulties in our day and age. And one of the reasons it causes us such great difficulty is that this word submit has been abused terribly. It just astounds me that people could use it to make people submit and degrade them. Uh, Some of you will have experienced this personally. I know how difficult and sensitive this can be if you've been in a family where there has been physical abuse or emotional abuse. It can be terribly, terribly damaging. And this this verse is not about any of that at all. And can I say, if you're in a relationship where this is happening, seek help. Come and talk to us. Let us help you through that stage of your life. If you find yourself in a relationship and you're the perpetrator, seek help. You are under God's judgment. You are not to treat your wife that way. The second thing to say about this is this is a choice of wives. There's no instruction for husbands to demand this of their wives. This is a choice by wives. Now, what's a bit tricky here is that Paul doesn't actually say a lot about what this submit means. He just makes a fairly bold statement. And very often people turn to passages in Ephesians and have a look at it and start to talk about what submission looks like there. But it struck me that Paul's just saying, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. And it struck me that probably what was the most amazing thing to the wives in that situation was not the word submit. But what what Paul says afterwards, to your husband as is fitting to the Lord. You see, these wives were living in a situation where they were degraded often within their families. 
The husbands were in complete control and complete charge. Above them came other officials. Then came the emperor. Paul is saying, like your husbands, the first person you're accountable to is the Lord. That is remarkably subversive, isn't it? It's saying you are equal to your husband and your first port of call in your life in the way you live out your marriage is to live it at is fitting to the Lord. You can imagine why husbands who wanted to establish their order in their way were threatened by this kind of thing. Because it's saying actually your first allegiance is to the Lord. If your husband is demanding things of you which are not consistent with being what is fitting to the Lord, you don't, don't do them. What an amazing freedom that Paul is offering here. Now, I know the word submit still causes us difficulty. So I think we've got to do some more thinking about what this actually looks like. What I want to say, though, is that at the very least, it means kindness and compassion and humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another and forgiving one another. It's more than that, but at its very least, that's what it looks like. That's the virtues that are expressed within a marriage. Now, I'm happy to talk to you about that a bit further, but I want to say it's not the main point of the passage. The main outstanding thing here is that both husband and wife are equal under the Lord. They are to serve him first. That is the extraordinary freedom that has been given here uh, by Paul's statement. Okay, so that's just talking about families and the way they work. In fact, the next part of the passage is really referring to the household as well because there were masters and slaves involved in families as well. But I've kind of separated it because most naturally we think of it as being in the kind of workplace. Now I want to say that those virtues that we've been talking about, that we've mentioned last week, are once again here present in the workplace. So let's go and look at and see what Paul has to say about slaves. He says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to, the, to curry their good favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever work you do, work with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Now once again, this is extraordinarily subversive language. You're not really serving your master. You're serving the Lord. It is him who you serve first wherever you find your place as a slave. Now, some have suggested that Paul is somehow supporting the slavery system here. He's not. We see that actually quite evident in the letter. If you look at uh, chapter 4, verse 9, he talks about a man called Osmosis. Sorry, I'm going to get this wrong. Osmosis. Um, who's a faithful and dear brother. That slave, that, he's a slave. And what's happened is, he's run away from his master. His master is Philemon. And he's run to Jerusalem. Sorry, he's run to Rome, where Paul is. Now, theoretically, his master could have killed him. 
But Paul, as he writes this letter back to those who are gathered in Colossae, says to them about this runaway slave, he's coming and he's our faithful and dear brother. He is one of you. He comes with Paul's blessing. He's going to be treated as another person of that congregation with all the rights, with all the love that could be expected from other Christians. It's, it's, it's just a remarkable moment. And Paul also speaks to masters. A little bit later on he says, Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Notice the language again. The reason that you're acting like you are is because you're new, you are in Christ, you have a master in heaven, you serve him first. And in fact, he argues with Philemon in the book called Philemon that he actually should release his slave. Listen to these words. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as fellow men and as a brother of the Lord. Can you imagine the masters of the day sitting down and saying, oh, this, this is fine, we like this idea. Our slaves can be equal to us. We need to treat them with love and care and be generous with them. It's just like... Paul is just really getting up people's noses at this point. And he's subverting the whole system. Of course, as we look at this, we're not thinking about masters and slaves in our own context. We're starting to think about our own workplaces and how they work and what we do. And I think there's some things that are fairly instructive here in terms of our thinking about our own workplaces. The first one and the most important one, I think, is that we are to serve the both employees and employers are both to serve the Lord. They're to change their audience. They're not serving themselves. They're not there just to make money. They're not there just to oppress other people. They're not there to uh, see themselves as being successful and reach a certain height in terms of their careers. Those things may happen, but they're there to serve the Lord in what they do. Now, Paul is also saying, as you serve the Lord, serve it with sincerity of heart and reverence. In whatever work you do, do it with all your heart, working as for the Lord, not for human masters. And I think what this does is actually put work in the right place. It doesn't overvalue it and it doesn't undervalue it. It says work is important. Actually, getting on with work is a good idea. Serving in your workplaces is an important thing to do. And the way you go about it, as you express your relationship with, uh, with God in your work relationships and the way you make decisions, is going to be really important. But actually remember, you're working for the Lord and it's not everything. Don't worship work. Don't worship what it produces. Don't worship where it takes you. Because ultimately, you're... Working not for your human masters, but for the Lord your God. 
And he determines how you live and what you say and what you do. You're accountable to him first as you live out your life. That's an important moment, isn't it? As you think about your workplace. It'd be worth thinking tonight and perhaps having a discussion with someone before you leave here. How am I, how am I going to do that? What does that look like in my workplace? How do I live out that kindness and generosity? How do I live out that love and that forgiveness? I don't know how to do that. Can, can you help me think about this? Talk to each other about those, these kinds of things. And also join Citizens next year, of course, um, and think about that really deeply there. That would be a great thing to do. Okay, so we thought about slaves and masters and we thought about the things involved there. One final thing that I want to talk about, and fairly quickly because I recognise that we've been in this passage for a while, is the whole idea of what happens in church. We've been thinking about what, how does uh, the virtues that Paul's talked about impact our lives in light of what Christ has done for us. And of course, in church life, uh, there's all kinds of different relationships. What's so interesting about this passage, actually, is that you start to see all kinds of... There's Greeks, there's Jews, there's slaves, there's free, there's masters, uh, there's husbands, there's wives, there's children. There's all kinds of different relationships in this church. People who are uh, single, people who are not single, all kinds of different things are going on in the life of this church. And you might think that list of names that happens at the end there is kind of a bit boring, but it actually tells us all kinds of interesting things about what's taking place in the life of the church at Colossae. So, first of all, one of the things we discover is that it's a pretty messy kind of place. Churches can be messy. And you might not see the messiness here, but as Paul writes, he talks about Aristarchus and he sends you his greeting, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Now, if you're familiar with the story of Mark... What you'll know is that Mark and Paul had a falling out. In Acts chapter 15, we read these words. Paul insisted that they should not take along this one who had left them and had not accompanied them in the work. They had a sharp disagreement. This is Paul and Mark. And so they parted company. Sharp disagreement. They had a fight and they parted company. Church is a messy place. People will say and do things. There will be conflict. There will be all kinds of things that happen in relationships within the life of the church. But what's evident here, and the beautiful thing that's evident here, is that both Paul and Mark have worked out their relationship. In the midst of all the mess, they've worked out forgiving one another. They've worked out what it looks like to work together. Church is messy, but it's also the place where we get to try out these virtues, where we actually grow in those virtues with one another, in our kindness and love and compassion and gentleness. Because otherwise we won't grow unless we have those things. It's directed. Um, what I mean by that is that church is not only a place where it's all kind of nice and community and everything's beautiful, um, sometimes church is a place where you get to kick up the pants. And that's what's happening here. Paul is saying to this guy, hey, you've had a ministry and you're not getting on with it. It's about time you get on with it. And he's saying it publicly, by the way. It's kind of brutal. But he's saying, actually, just get on with your ministry. That's what you were called to do. And so it's not all about 
beauty and light, sometimes it's tough. It's messy and there needs to be forgiveness, but sometimes there needs to be clear direction. Just the final thing I want to say is that church, in these new relationships that we have in Christ, also means that you are connected with other Christians. Uh, The amazing thing that we see here is that Paul is writing to them and saying, remember those other Christians down the road um, in Laodicea. They're meeting in a woman's house, and this letter needs to be, once it's read to you, then pass it on to them. It's a beautiful picture of Christians looking after one another and caring for one another beyond their walls. And so that's why it was so nice, actually, to have the Charles with us last week and to hear them speaking of uh, the ministry that's taking place in Chile, of the way we can support them and encourage them and, and help churches grow there. And I want to say also, I just I really appreciate what this church does in that regard. Some of you might not know, but I also get to invo- be involved in supporting pastors in churches in Asia as well. Because of the generosity of this church, I get the opportunity to serve them. This church has an outward focus. We are connected beyond here. And that's a beautiful thing. And that's the way it should be. Okay, we've covered a lot of territory this evening. What I want you to remember is in light of Christ and what he's done for us, We are to be people who live like people who are putting on new clothes. We are to live as though we are people who are dearly loved and chosen by God. Who are clothing ourselves in our relationships, whatever relationships we find ourselves in, with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Bearing one another, forgiving each other if there's grievances, and putting on love, which binds all these things together. Brothers and sisters, we cannot do this by ourselves. It's going to take a work of God in our lives to transform us. It's going to mean we seek our roots deep into Jesus and drink deeply of his love for us. Because we cannot do this by ourselves. We need each other, but most importantly, we need you. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.